Amen. All right. If you got a Bible, Psalm 95. Psalm 95 and Numbers 14. Psalm 95 and Numbers 14. I do not know uh, how everybody else approaches their Bible. <laughs> There's times you a fellow would want to think or one would want to think, you know, that we're kind of like every, similar to everybody else, normal. I don't know. I don't know if I am or not. But I know this. I know for an absolute fact that the Bible tells us to stay familiar with the main themes of the Word of God. I know that both Paul and Peter in the New Testament said it wasn't grievous or a, a, you know negative to repeat themselves. And I have found in my Christian life that the notable passages in the Bible are worth revisiting frequently throughout the year for me. I'm talking about for me personally. And I'm hoping that's that's the way other people are because I don't see how you could do it without it. I don't need obscure stuff. And uh, in fact, I'm not even attracted to some of this stuff that's going on today of trying to pin this time and date down and all that because there's been too many that didn't get it and there's too many things in the Bible that say you won't get it. But what, our, what we're going to talk about today is a, a, an age-old passage. Uh, for example, Numbers 14 happens before they even enter into the Promised Land under Joshua. And Numbers 13 and 14 are a pivotal passage in the history of Israel with the Lord. And uh, it leads to that 40 years of wandering, as we call it. 40 being the number of testing in your Bible, probation. So in ni Psalm 95... We'll read the psalm, and we're going to observe something here. And I'll tell you up front, we're going to preach on the cost of doubt. What might doubt cost you? You know, through the years, I've had people warn me about faith. No, seriously, believers, Christians, good ones sometimes. I've had them warn me about faith. I've had them warn me about the danger of stepping out by faith. And I understand. I understand there's faith and there's foolishness and there's all this kind of stuff. But I truly have. I've had people warn me about faith. And so I, I want to say as we read this that, that what God asks us to do many times is pretty far out there. Uh, we could look at Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain, Genesis 22. We could look at a lot of things. We could look at them trusting that he'll come up out of the grave after three days. But today we're going to look at the children of Israel and their offer to go into the promised land after God had miraculously delivered them from Egypt and gave them manna from heaven. So in Psalm 95 it says, Come. Let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. These words are not an accident. Your King James Bible is not an accident. People can write and translate words that are similar. But I love the fact that I can trust these words and then I can go and look at them in English and compare them and get a visualization God wanted me to have as an English speaking person. He said to the rock of our salvation, the foundation, the anchor, the stability. 
Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, amen, and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. So music and praise, even though they've been imitated and, and honestly perverted by some people to, in the day we live in, in 2022, it's still the way to bless God. For the Lord is a great God and a great King, capital K, above all gods, small g-o-d-s. In his hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. I've written between that verse and this copy of my King James Bible, so we love to do so. From the time of your children, you like forming stuff with your hands, making it with your hands. O come, let us worship and bow down. In other words, that we get that from the Lord. Okay? He says, uh, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. It's strange. When I come to Christ, when I got saved, started reading the Bible, come across phrases like this, I was like, well, that's what it meant in the old Western when he'd say, prepare to meet your Maker. You're about to meet your Maker. I, I didn't understand hardly any of that growing up. I, we, there was no God, no Bible in the home or in our life or no church. And I, I thought to myself later, I said, man, this is really amazing. This is very, very good. Meet your maker. Now watch. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Then he says, that's a, there's a colon there. Then he says, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, it is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways. Unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Now there was a constant cycle of, of the children of Israel, the people doubting God. And it says here, they tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. And then he says he was grieved for those 40 years. So, stick a marker in there and come over to Numbers chapter 14. We're going to look at one verse to start with. And we're going to refer to chapter 13 and 14. And if you're of a mind to get something out of this, I trust you'll take some time to read it. It would take a prohibitive amount of time to read this and keep the continuity for you. Now, the back story is this. First of all, Numbers 14, 22. He says, Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt. Remember the plagues? Remember how he got those Egyptians where they were not just ready to let them go. They, they loaded them up with stuff and they made them well off. They loaded them up. And he said, Which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. And then he said that Caleb and Joshua would go in. So this passage is before all the wilderness wanderings. This leads to it. So what happens is they come out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, miraculously, after all the plagues God did. You'll have to read some of that. Many of you are aware of it, but you don't lose sight of the important historical forest while you're focused on some little tiny tree and probably a little sapling that doesn't really matter in, this, in the scope of knowing what's happening in the future. I can tell you what's about to happen. You ready? 
you're going to need to trust God. If he does not call us out, it's going to get worse. But it's not going to get the worst until we're gone and things go really bad. So your, your high gasoline prices is not the tribulation. There's going to be more violence, but, but the violence that's there is not the tribulation yet. See? Now, how simple is that? You don't have to watch four and five and six and eight and ten hours of somebody drawing stuff and lines and numbers and all that kind of stuff. If you want to live boots on the ground for Christ, get a hold of what I'm telling you today. So in Numbers 13, they've come out of Egypt. He's already started doing stuff for them. And now he says, I want to give you this land that for hundreds of years I've been preparing for you. It's called the promised land because he promised it to them. It's such a wonderful place that there's all kind of people settled there because it's a great place to have. Listen, if you went somewhere and let's say you were going to buy a piece of property or settle somewhere and nobody wanted to live there, wouldn't you wonder, I wonder why nobody wants to live here? Huh? And so what has happened is people have lost sight of the fact of what the promised land was. It was a land flowing with milk and honey and they discovered it on their spying out trip in Numbers chapter 13. You remember the little Sunday school song that we used to sing, have our kids sing on the Sunday school bus when we ran a route? You know, 12 men went to spy out Canaan. 10 were bad and 2 were good. Okay? So they go and they spy it out and they see, they bring back grapes at the cluster. Uh, picture you put it like on a broomstick between two men. The cluster took two guys to carry. That's how fruitful this place was and it flowed with milk and with honey and with all the natural things and it was it was a wonderful place so much so that people were going to have to be displaced to leave it they wanted it as bad now now get this and god said to israel here's where i want you in this area you cannot go conquer the rest of the world because that's not my will and the world's not going to come conquer you but you're going to have to go in and make a stand and take it so Let's apply this in our beginning in your mind. As a Christian, God has a life for you. It's not a life that's connected to your income. It's not a life that's connected to where you live or the kind of house or dwelling and all that. It's an inward life that works its way outward that goes with you wherever you go. And it's not about prosperity as such. And it's not about success as outward success. It's about good success, Joshua chapter 1. And we could take, honestly, a, a lot of time teaching on this and preaching on this. But for today, because I want to focus on the cost of doubt, here's what happened. He sent them in. They saw all the wonderful things, and they also saw some giants. Literally saw big, big, bad people. Bad people. And they came back. When they came back, they started rehearsing it. And when they rehearsed it, one of the things they did was they said it's great and we saw it. Look at chapter 13, 27. They told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and it flows with milk and honey. This is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, you ought to mark that verse. In verse 28, it starts off, Nevertheless, the people be strong. Nevertheless. In other words, doubt. These guys are going to be preachers and purveyors of doubt. And so they tell the people, the cities are walled, very great. <coughs> we saw the children of Anak there. Look at verse 33. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, 
which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So what's happened here is that literally they are talking themselves out of trusting God. They're talking themselves out of trusting God, and they're talking the people out. And it's so powerful, we're going to look at it in a minute, it's so powerful, but God miraculously delivered them from Egypt. So are you saved? Have you trusted Christ to be your Savior? That's a miracle. It's a miracle because His birth, the Lord Jesus Christ's birth, was a miracle. His life was a miracle. His death was a miracle because He took on the sin of the world. No man's been able to do that. His resurrection was a miracle. His ascension's a miracle. His intercession for you. And now Christ is in you, the hope of glory. It's a miracle, miracle, miracle. Your sin and sins are gone. Is that not enough to trust Him? That's not even chronicling all the ways that He's taken care of you and fed you and provided and protected you and healed you. And yes, we've all had our, our different problems and limitations and trials and temptations and disappointments. But God works in ways that you don't know. Is God enough? You see, we have in this passage the tipping point with God. You know what a tipping point is? You ever done anything that required leverage? You ever needed to move something or tilt it back and move it, put it on a hand truck, all, you fellas, all that kind of stuff? Tipping point is when it gets too far one way or the other and boop, tips over. They're about to reach the tipping point with God. For hundreds of years, he'd been preparing them to go into this place, their own place. I mean, endless stories and movies have been made to, to give you a similar plot, okay? Where there were obstacles and there were enemies and some fighting was necessary. For you, the fight is against yourself and the world and the devil. It's not against government. It's not political. It's not about who's in power right now. It's not about what laws they make. Read your Bible. Read your historical books of the Bible. Read about how many times they had to overcome by faith even though they were never going to be put in charge politically. Read it. Five things, four things rather, today. Four things. Number one, Numbers 13, chapter 1, chapter, verse 1. <laughs> Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel, of every tribe of their fathers, shall you send a man, every one a ruler among them. Point one. Opportunity presented. Opportunity presented. He tells them to go for 40 days. He tells them to search out the land. He names these people out. And so they go, and that 40 is the number of testing. In your Bible, it's the number of probation. You know, the world used to say life begins at 40 and all that kind of stuff. This place was a place that was flowing, and it was fruitful. It had prosperity for them. It was, it was what God intended for them. And he sent 12 men out, one from each tribe. Now, let's draw a picture in your mind. Let's try to, let's try to connect the dots here and draw us a picture of today, 2022, you know, 2,000 years into the church age. The generation before you and before them and before them, each generation 
has a responsibility to show the coming generation how awesome it is to live a crucified, surrendered, active life in God. That's what we're supposed to show people. Are you getting this? So there's some who've gone on before us. They're in glory already. I thank God for them because many of them showed us the way of surrender, of active submission, of the crucified life, and the abundance of it. Many, many of them went home to glory without a bunch of money in the bank account. And let me say this. Beware. There are, there are some really good people that are living in maybe in a different age, you might say, or generation, or have had a different experience. And, and they would have, they would, honestly, good, good people, but under their leadership, fewer and fewer people are actually launching out. Because they've broken everything down into almost a science. And they've broken it down to where you've got to be able to see how you can do it on paper. And the problem is, God hardly ever does that. Ever. And they'll even maybe sometimes gently, subtly cast doubt upon those who went before who didn't do it that way. But you've got to ask yourself, where did you see the power of God? Where did you see with your eyes the presence of God? Where did you see the fruitfulness of God? So I'm saying to you, first of all, the opportunity presented. When God says to us, all right, I'll be 67 years old in a few months. When God says to me, will you continue to show how awesome it is to follow Christ in spite of the opposition, in spite of the giants, in spite of the battles, in spite of all that, I have a choice. There's an opportunity presented. And today, if you're within the sound of my voice, there's an opportunity presented you to decide to trust God. Now, our subject is the cost of doubt. Because when they doubt, now listen, I read you the verses in, in chapter 14, when they doubt, that entire generation is told they're not going in. So they cost everybody 40 years. But more than that, they lost their opportunity to show how awesome God is. When you don't show how awesome God is, you might be hindering somebody else from finding out. You might be. When you don't help each other trust God, you might be hindering somebody. So in your life, you have an opportunity presented to you. And that opportunity presented is where you, where you show how awesome God is. Will you show that? How awesome God is. Alright, secondly, the opposition was projected. The opposition was projected. They came back and they talked about how good it was, but then, oh boy, they just had to magnify Project it on like projecting it onto a screen. They had, the opposition was projected. They said, we're as grasshoppers. Well, first of all, those giants weren't that big. They were big, bad dudes. But they weren't that big. And he said, verse 31, they said, 
But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to up against the people, for they are stronger than we. The opposition is projected as we can't do it. Well, you can't alone. But you're not alone. The whole idea of living the Christian life, the whole idea of God giving you opportunities to prove Him. Let me, let me say this. You have, a, you have an opportunity every single day to show faith in God. I am amazed at how grumbly and murmuring, and he said this, murmur not, okay, and complainy Christians are. They're complaining about the government. They complain about politics. They complain about the temperature. They complain about prices of food and stuff. Why don't you believe that God said, don't murmur? Why can't you get hold of that? Of all the people on the face of the earth, we're the ones who are supposed to be trusting God every day. Every day. We're supposed to be giving thanks that we have food. Let us, with food and raiment, let us therewith be content. If you get more than that, well, praise the Lord or if he enables. But, but we are supposed to be the people. We're not supposed to have a bunch of guys out there who are making millions of dollars a year teaching positivity. We're supposed to be the positive ones. See, some of y'all, you get through and you continue with God and you don't go to the pub and you don't go out and commit sexual, sensual sins and you shouldn't do any of those. And you don't do drugs. You don't steal. So your flesh manifests itself in complaining and murmuring and griping in a couple other words that come to my mind. And that's a sin against God. Because you are projecting the opposition to us living for Christ. You are projecting it on the screen. You are magnifying it. Opposition projected. We can't do it. Sure you can. My goodness, if Paul in the first century of apostles and believers could live for Christ, if people through the dark ages could live for Christ, hey, I know, I know, they got burnt, they got hung, they got beaten, they got, they sewed some of them in, into sacks with poisonous snakes in them and threw them in the river. I get that. I hope I don't have to face that. But we ought to have the attitude that says, I've got to keep the Spirit of Jesus. What did he, ready? Verse 32, chapter 13, 32, Numbers. And they brought up, would you mark this, an evil report of the land. Are you projecting an evil report because you're focused on the price of gasoline or you're focused on the inconveniences of life? And I'm primarily speaking from living here in the in North America, but it, it's that way around the world, especially in Western countries. People are spoiled rotten. They'd kind of gotten spoiled because they were living by sight in the sense of the cloud and the fire leading them, the manna, the water from the rock. And now God said, I'm going to give you an opportunity presented to you. Trust me further. But the opposition got projected. 
You know, I hear Christians make comments all the time, all the time. Well, brother, you just know, I mean, if this is less than that, and, and the government this and that, and the people this and that, and churches this and that, and, you know, all the churches down the road and this and that, and people come and they don't come back and stuff. Now, I'm going to say this. Thankfully, it doesn't matter um, how much anybody likes what I'm about to say. Thankfully, I'm not saying it because of that. I always used to ask myself, and still do, if someone's not coming back, the first question is, could I have done it differently? That's the first debriefing question. Because we are so structured as Bible-believing Christians. One book, we've got the way. If we're not careful, we're so structured that we, we will just tell ourselves, that's just because we believe the book. But sometimes it's the way we act. It's the way we say it. It's what we're presenting to them. It's, it's our attitude many times. Now, if it's not your attitude and someone goes away, first of all, the very first thing, as Oswald Chambers says to do, is pray. Pray for them. Whether you like to believe it or not, you have not responded to every spiritual truth the first time you saw it and, and just obeyed it and never looked back. And if you believe that, that shows you have looked back. That shows you are back. Hallelujah. And so, the opposition was projected. Are you making the opposition bigger than you ought to? Are you magnifying the flesh? Do you constantly talk about the flesh? Constantly, well, you know, we've still got the old nature, got that old nature. You're going to fight that old nature. Well, yeah, we are. But a lot of y'all give it more power than the new nature. You don't believe First John where it says, whosoever born of God sinneth not. That's your new nature. That's not something off in some tribulation somewhere. That's not sinless perfection as many of them teach. No, that's your new nature. It can't sin. Just like Jesus didn't sin and couldn't sin in a literal sense. So I'm asking you, please consider, are you projecting the opposition? Is the opposition being projected and enlarged by you? Then thirdly, optimism was prohibited. Look at chapter 14, verse 10. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. Who? Joshua, verse 6, and Caleb. Why? Because, in verse 7, they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. I'm here to tell you this. If I drop dead physically right this minute, or 30 seconds from now, I'm here to tell you something. Living for the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of the cost, is worth it. And you don't know till you get to heaven which decisions were bad ones and good ones and which ones were your fault and somebody else's fault and which things were... You don't know till you get to heaven. But I'm going to tell you, it's a good land to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, don't go out there and tell everybody how great it is. How great you are and how you're never down. I know some of y'all. Sometimes you just wish you could uh, be somewhere and when someone started saying, raise your hand. So what, what, what? that wasn't the case this morning because we're not lifting ourselves up here. We're not saying we're good. The land is good. Walking with God is a good thing. Obeying Him and seeing how He provides is a good thing regardless of all the trials that come with it. Heartaches, disappointments. I mean disappointments. So watch. Verse 8. Here is the, the key to this. If the Lord 
delighten us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. Kill them. Optimism was prohibited. Now, it won't be said out loud most of the time. But there will be an attitude of spirit and comments said many times after a sermon, uh, after a conference, after a testimony, that say, now, just hang on here. There is living by faith, and then there is, you know, getting a little carried away and going into that promised land with all that stuff. Don't you really promote faith and living... We live by sight, but we call it faith. You know, there's some people who are set in life and have now become life experts because they're set in life. And I'm glad they are set in life. Who wouldn't want to be? But because they've become the life experts, fewer and fewer people go out by faith under that influence. We live in a land of prosperity for the most part. We do. We live in a land that has all kind of different things to tempt us to not live by faith. But the cost of doubt is what we're about to see. Because point number four is this. Okay, so opportunity is presented. You're, you're being presented one today, right here, right now. Opposition gets projected. Yeah, there are many things. Listen, there are so many things that can happen to you. There is sickness. There is accidents. There is death, disease, divorce. There are so many things that can happen to you. Optimism is prohibited. We have hardly any real old-time style preaching on faith. Because we're not saying go out and just be foolish. We're not saying don't plan or budget, but we are saying you're never going to get the numbers to line up because you don't know. Oswald Chambers says if if you save for a rainy day, God will send a cyclone, a hurricane. That about sums it up to me. You see, the optimism it gets prohibited even if it's subtle. But the fourth thing is this. Here's the worst part. Okay? Remember verse 22 and 23 of chapter 14? He said, verse 23, they shall not see the land. The offer is pulled. The offer is pulled. You know, in all kinds of business dealings, in all kinds of trading and business dealings, and even the stock market and stuff, there's times, there's offers you make in business and real estate and stuff where this offer is good till sundown. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I can remember in the horse business, you know, this offer is good till, till tonight or this offer is good till Sunday. The offer is pulled by God. Now beware, beware. Now I didn't say talk yourself into it and give up. I didn't, but I'm going to say beware, beware. This can happen to us as New Testament Christians. I've met some where you could plainly see 
that God had pulled his offer. Now wait, they had money still. They weren't broke. They didn't go bankrupt even. They weren't sick. They weren't dying. They looked like successful people. But the offer had been pulled by God. And by the way, you want to add a little thing, a little parenthesis, it was promised to others, to Joshua and Caleb and the generation after them. Now there's two guys in this passage, Joshua and Caleb, and I am determined by God's grace on, in my little sphere of life to be a Joshua and a Caleb. That's my determination in life, is to be a Joshua and a Caleb. That, I mean, I am determined that that's going to happen to me. I am not giving in to the opposition. I am not giving in to optimism being prohibited. I am not giving in to someone telling me through the opposition being projected that I have to I can't trust God. Because the cost of doubt is the offer gets pulled. See, when you read your Bible, and I trust you do, when you have devotions every day, and I pray you do, when you grab a good solid devotional. I mean, there's a bunch of them. Oswald Chambers is good. My most first highest. Uh, the old uh, checkbook on the bank of faith. I think it's got a new name now by Charles Spurgeon. There's several of them that are good. The new ones are, they're a little airy-fairy, to be honest with you. They don't challenge you to trust God as much. And some of them even take on the first person of God and talk to you like what they write is God talking to you. No, he wrote you in his book. And what we do is we advocate him. We put him out there. Okay? But... You do that thing and you've got to understand that each time it's an opportunity presented. Every day is an opportunity being presented. And you, you can either let the opposition be projected. Uh, you can let optimism be prohibited in your life. But if you do, the offer is going to get pulled. And it could get pulled and you not lose a thing on earth. That offer could get pulled now, now, ready? They went 40 years longer. Get this, get this, get this before I close. 40 years. He didn't say, I'm pulling the offer. Y'all are going to die tonight. And they're going in next week. No. No. Do you understand that their children and grandchildren had to wander for 40 years? Because their offer got pulled. Thank God there was a Joshua and a Caleb who let him in. Amen. Joshua leads in other people's children and grandchildren. And that's how we ought to want to be as, as older people. We're going to stay with the stuff. We're going because the cost of doubt is the offer gets pulled. The offer to live the abundant life. You say, well, God wouldn't do that. He does it right here. Paul warns about it in all kinds of ways. Now, <clears throat> it's not for you and I to <clears throat> go around telling somebody, you hit the deadline. No, 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 no. But I'm, I've observed this for the last 40 years in people's lives. Oh, they're in church. They're in church. In fact, they might be the solid member. They might be a member that a typical pastor doesn't want to lose to the mission field or, or to going off and pastoring or, or the life of faith. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're the kind of church member that when they get to a certain point of optimism, it gets prohibited by, subtly by the leadership because they don't want to lose them. And you see that leadership, if it's not careful, they have lost some of their faith. 
to trust God to provide them somebody else to bear that load. Uh, that might be a really good given person in your church. It might be a really good uh, witnessing person. It might be a good serving person in the church. It might be someone who's good advertising for you. <laughs> the offer gets pulled. You say, well, what makes you think of this? It, it's Truthfully, I was reading through the Psalms, you know, Psalm 5, Psalm 35, Psalm 65, Psalm 95. It was just yesterday morning reading this. And all these thoughts just started flowing and it was just another reminder. Don't end up. I mean, it says in chapter, uh, Psalm 95.10, 40 years long was I grieved with this generation. It is people that do err in their heart and have not known my ways. Unto whom I swear in my wrath, they should not enter into my, mark this, rest. Hebrews chapter 4, don't discount it. Don't do all that hyperdispensationalist rubbish. Hebrews chapter 4, beware, beware, beware that you don't end up with the full rest of God in your heart because of doubt. The cost of doubt is so high you couldn't actually measure it. But the offer gets pulled. Now, I didn't say there's going to come a time when you, you know, all of a sudden you're going to boom, you know. But I've seen it in people's lives. And it wasn't they went off to the bottle. And it wasn't they got off into sin. And it wasn't that they left the church. In fact, some of them, ready? When their offer got pulled, they got deeper into the church. Listen, these people weren't put out of the congregation by God. They were still the anchor. They were still the oldest generation. They were still the leaders. And everyone else had to take another lap around Mount Zion until they learned their lesson. And they murmured. And listen, you read on and Miriam gets, has, gets leprosy for a short period of time to teach her a lesson. And the ground opens up and swallows some of them and all that. Now listen, okay? I thank God for Joshua and Caleb. I thank God for their faith. Now, Joshua and Caleb are warriors, and I'll put this in here in closing. I've said this for years. I, I fear for my own self that if I was in Joshua and Caleb's shoes, it wouldn't have lasted 40 years. Because what he said was, you're going to go around until this generation dies off. And the temptation would have been for there to be some mysterious deaths every night. <laughs> oh, some of them didn't wake up this morning or... He just looks like he swallowed his pillow. Got little feathers coming out of his mouth. The temptation as a soldier and a warrior after you'd seen the promised land and you would want the children and the grandchildren to go in. The greatest grief to me in all the world right now, right now, uh, 2022, April 6, 2022, the greatest grief to me is that young people in their 20s in their teens, and their 30s, are not being given a glimpse of what it is to step out and trust God by faith because of the older generation. Now, hear me out. Some of y'all brag a lot about what God's doing for you, but that, that's not showing how God helps you live by faith. 
I got a feeling that a lot of you, a lot of you, without advertising and social media and pumping each other up, your faith would get greatly tested because you don't, wouldn't have all those connections for the next meeting and connections for the next offering. The old timers literally lived by faith. They even had to trust God with the providence of where they went at the right time and run into somebody and this and that happened. And many of us that followed in their steps, we have seen God's provision in ways you cannot explain. But it wouldn't have happened if we'd not taken the opportunity that was presented. And it wouldn't have happened if we listened to the opposition that was projected and we yielded to the optimism being prohibited because in our life, also, the offer would have been pulled. Now, I believe some people in their older years of their life have seen or are going to see God pull his offer. And was a, there was a time in their life when they were just unbelievably, I mean, they were hitting all strides with God. And then something came up. Or then they got to thinking like many of us, you know, hey, it's getting late in life. And then they got to crunching the numbers or whatever. Sometimes it's just, it's just the, honestly, sometimes it's just comfort as you get older. It's just comfort is the temptation. Yeah. It's just knowing your surroundings and not being out of control and, you know, not launching out. Sometimes that's what it is that can get somebody. I've seen it get them. And sometimes when you can't do it physically, you still in your heart have to launch out every single day. Opportunity presented. Father, I pray you'd use these thoughts. I know they're basic, Lord. They're so simple. But it's what it takes for me to grasp it. I pray someone out there be blessed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.